1: are you ready for operational excellence welcome to the visual workplace work that makes sense where your host and visual workplace expert dr Gwendolyn galsworth shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer faster better and far less costly the visual workplace You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth.
0: Hi, hi, welcome. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I am your host on this, our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak, the visual workplace. In each of our shows, we look at some aspect of that, of how to embed the intelligence of our operational system into the living, dynamic landscape of work through visual devices, through visual systems. How to install the language of our current level of operational excellence, even if we are not quite as excellent as we wish we would be or as we know we will be. We install that level. We create a physical platform made out of visual devices. And when we make that level concrete and specific, we can literally see how we think. We can see our operational thinking function because we have captured the details in not hundreds but thousands of visual devices. And why do we bother? We bother for the incredible, the impressive, the extraordinary bottom line benefits in terms of improved safety, sustainability, better quality, aligned delivery time, shrinking costs. We have a stable operational system, and it can grow because it is stable. We also have a splendid, spirited, and engaged workforce on all levels, not just operators, but also supervisors and CEO, the CEOs. Visuality is a language that the entire enterprise speaks through devices, through physical devices that they'd invent based on their need, their need to know, And later on, their need to share. And as a result, we go to work, and we enjoy ourselves at work. We do the dance of work. The struggle is gone. We can do our work. We can build upon the positive outcomes of yesterday and make them more positive today and even better tomorrow. Because visuality is an enormous adherence framework. That's where the stability comes in. And when you marry that with principles of visuality, you get the layer of imagination. We can invent new devices because we understand the principles, because we understand the enemy, and the enemy is invisible. We cannot see the enemy. We can only see its footprint. Its footprint is motion moving without working, and the enemy is missing information, missing answers. We watch our motion. We become scientists of motion. Um, We see the opportunity for not just point solutions as visual devices, but for creating a system of language and connectivity, physical connectivity through these devices. And we have a workplace that speaks. We have an extraordinary world-class workplace that speaks. So welcome, (laughs) welcome to the show. This is a call-in show as soon as you call in or you can email us at radio at visualworkplace.com. Our call-in number is 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790. Our website is visualworkplace.com. Lots of things on our websites, lots of them are free. We want you to get educated, we want you to go further. We have free podcasts over 150 podcasts now we're going into our sixth year of this radio show with these kinds of podcasts these tutorials such as we're continuing today with a hero within our series i think this is our eighth number eight we have newsletter articles i write one every week i wrote one this week on pink powder the moment that i realized what visuality was way back in 1985 I'll tell you about it some other time, but it had to do with pink. And you can read that article if you wish. And we also have a video gallery on our homepage at visualworkplace.com where you can see clips about what visuality is. And also there's a couple of clips on 5S that I think are really important. And some other things that we've done that we put up there for you to um, study and to use so also become a member become a member and there's lots of free things in your free box and I will tell you that our VP of Marketing and Communication Cindy Linden is starting a campaign to put things in the free box that last about a day she's figuring this out now what the pacing will be but some of them will be our complete online system and you know you can buy the whole thing for $100 instead of Um, close to 5,000. But she's got these kind of surprises lined up. She's thinking about it now. We want you to visit us. We want you to use what we offer, whether it's free or you have to purchase it. This is going to create visuality in your organization for you, and it has tremendous benefit. I'm going to be doing uh, things in the UK and Mexico and also at the Shingo Prize in Knoxville in September some briefings on visual thinking. If you want us to come to your company and do a one or two or four day visual um, event, we're happy to do that. This is what we do when I'm not on the radio. I'm out traveling to visit you. We do public seminars about six times a year. We always promote them on our website. So if you're nearby, you can join us. So lots and lots of interesting things. Today... Today, we are going to continue our series on The Hero Within. This has grown. We uh, we started in June, about the beginning of June, and we will go, uh, I think there will be one more next week, and then the following week, I'll talk about something uh, special and that one show can cover. So today, The Hero Within, the hero within there inside of each of us waiting to come out. Waiting to get out, waiting to escape the bounds of its invisibility, waiting to come out even at work. Can you feel it inside of you? That thing that wants to rise up and contribute, rise up and contribute something of excellence? Size is not the factor, quality is, and timeliness, to, to contribute something of star-like quality, of excellence to our work we do it in our daily life we do it at home we do it where we worship at our church or where we play in our sports this tremendous urge to contribute to extend we do it through our personal connections of heart in our romances and our marriages but why not also at work why not also at work in fact we must I am, yes, talking about the collaboration between the technical and the emotional, the mind and the heart. The lift is made up of those two things. The hero in us wants to contribute in an exceptional way. That doesn't mean the hero is seeking praise, although it's always nice. It also means that it's not exclusive. There's no one who can't contribute to this. It means the pursuit of excellence that includes us as well. Many heroes in the making feel a deserved sense of pride in their contribution, real pleasure in their accomplishment, real personal pleasure. And I often think about thoroughbred horses because in my particular and very peculiar childhood I was around horses quite a bit, but not because we owned them, but because my father was a handicapper. He liked to gamble. I'm sorry he did. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm really sorry because it had an impact on my on my childhood. But I was around horses a lot, and I got to watch them race because I went sometimes with my father to the racetrack. It was only about three miles away. Long Branch, New Jersey. Monmouth County International Racetrack. I used to sell soda pop out front for six cents or eight cents. This was a business my brother set me up in. He went to the beach and he said, sis, you stay here. He gave me a wash tub full of soda and ice. And as people left the <laughs> left the racetrack, they would buy a, <laughs> a bottle of cold soda for a dime or so because traffic was very dense. And, you know, my brother made a killing and I was my brother was my hero. So I was happy. If he was happy. Oh, uh, yay, yeah, yeah, yay. So thoroughbreds <laughs> were very much a part of my life. And I would watch them run. And uh, only over time did I realize what was happening. I did a little uh, uh, research on it too. I spoke to this lady who actually helped uh, thoroughbreds get better. If they had a problem, she helped them. If they had a physical problem or whatever. And, uh, and she... And we talked about it. And, you know, she said, these race, these horse races, these horse, these racing horses, these racing horses race to win. It isn't the jockey. And I realized the jockey is just an accessory for the, for the uh, racehorse. For the racehorse, it's the running of the race and the winning of the race. And she said, you, you, you watch these racehorses and they want to wind. I watch them and I see them take pleasure in the air, the wind in their mane, in the, spe- in the speed. I watch that and I think, how does that relate to us? What is comparable? What is it that gives us pleasure in our day, in our work? That is just us. And it is something comparable. And this mission of excellence, this contagion, this happy contagion that has caught us over the last 10, 15 years is something that we take pleasure in, the pursuit of excellence. And so cultivating heroes at work can be, and I think should be, a corporate objective. And cultivating the hero within is something that we're already doing ourselves because this hero wants to get out. So, I want to talk about, in the show today, the role of the supervisor in this process. And I'm going to get into some training scenarios and some nitty-gritty bits that will, I hope, make the point for you. But this is not a theoretical discussion. This is, what is the change and how do you do it? What is the change? What is this shift in the supervisor and how do you do it? I believe their role is mission critical and we will talk about this right after our first break, which is just about to happen now. See you in a minute. I'll be here when you get back.
1: The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll free, one 866 or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com Now, back to the program.
0: Hi, this is Gwendolyn. Hi, and we're back at the Visual Workplace. We're in the second part of our show today on the hero within the supervisor's role. And we're talking also, you know, we can talk about 5S, Six Sigma, we can talk about Lean, but the fact of the matter is That the supervisors have a role, a critical role. They're there. And as we focus on that role, we come to understand that there is a hero within the supervisor as well. But we also understand that part of the supervisor's job, part of every manager's job, is to help the hero within others come out. That role is mission critical. In many ways, it is the starting point for the Cultural Revolution. So, just a quick look at our series so far. We're in our eighth show. We began actually on June 2nd, The Hero Within Eye Driven Visuality. And in that show, as you may remember, we talked about what I said before the importance of making every hero, I beg your pardon, of making every employee a hero in their own eyes. This is the eye-driven component of visuality. It's built in. In the second show, we talked about the journey of the eye and the need to know. The importance of that question, what do I need to know that I don't know right now in order to do my work? That the dynamic of that question is to Place emphasis on the eye so the individual, in this case we're talking about operator-led visuality, but I could shift in a nanosecond to a CEO or supervisor and make the same discussion. But in an operator, we want the operator to feel the ownership of their information deficits so that they don't feel victim of the system, but they understand this is my information deficit and I have a vehicle called visuality where I can make these information deficits go away to a large extent. What do I need to know? What do I need to know that I don't know right now in order to do my work, do it more safely, more completely, in, in better spec, on time, etc.? And, w- and the individual becomes, begins to come up. In our, the third of this series, we talked about the principle of self-leadership and the need to share the second question. What do I need to share that other people need to know that I need to share so they can do their work more safely, more completely? And suddenly we begin to have this connectivity in the organization and we begin to serve others, self-leadership, servant leadership, operator to operator. Just with that part of the methodology, we have already begun to change the cultural landscape. And if you follow the rest of the methodology, you'll not only get a big change, a huge change, a seismic change in culture, but you will get a 15 to 30% increase in productivity as the workforce becomes more spirited and engaged and more expert at creating visual solutions to their information deficits. In the third show, we talked about Sorry, the fourth show, we talked about grumblers and watchers and rowers. We talked about the parable of the rowers and what is it like to show respect when the person is really acting miserably, not sabotaging because that goes right to HR, but, you know, just grumpy or indifferent. What do you do about that? Because somewhere in those people is a hero wanting to come out. The rower, we see it the watcher maybe but the grumbler it's very hard very hard to penetrate that so you need to have the principle in place and there is a mechanism there are mechanisms for doing it in the next show this is our fifth show this is on june 30th we talked about the value field the importance of putting boundaries and, uh, around work And teaching people how to discover their own information deficits and how to address them so that they would begin to build this inner strength. This is not exactly a Kaizen Blitz event. It is one where we are applying the principles again and again. We're becoming scientists of our own work. You can use the Blitz format. But you must train these principles so the blitz are very, very powerful and the thinking continues on either side of the blitz when the blitz isn't happening. And we told the story of Paulette and the microscope. The definition of the value field and how that changed and was redefined as people became more scientific in their investigation of motion. You may remember all... 13 pairs of eyes saw the same thing at the same time and went (gasps) you remember that (gasps) at the same time because they saw something that they had never realized was motion they redefined their value field because of it and then in our next show we talked about a big grump a guy named Charlie and the 5S rollout and what happened to his table and how hard it is to work with grumps and yet Within this person, in his own eyes, he was behaving in a heroic way. What seemed to be disrespectful in Charlie was, in fact, respectful to the company. But you had to take a moment to watch it, to see it, to understand it. And some terrible mistakes were made by the team that misunderstood what Charlie was about. This grumpy, grumpy person who was relegated to the hen house, the dreaded hen house at Hamilton Standard. And last time we, and that was the last time we met. And this time today, we are looking at 5S Visuality, Supervisors, and Heroes. What is the supervisor's role? It kicks in early, and it may not be what the supervisor wants to do but it is learning for the supervisor as well. So I'm going to talk through this by describing two scenarios. They'll be linked to the visual workplace because that is what I know very, very well. But the training principles, the cultural principles, the implementation principles that I'm going to be discussing, I believe relate to any and all improvement conversions, Six Sigma, Lean, whatever. But this one has a special emphasis. And I want to describe broadly, that many companies come to visuality or come to improvement, but let's talk visuality, and they have a hit or miss experience. They may innocently, but nonetheless wrongly focus on point solutions and try to get some visual devices in place. They do a little this, a little that. But the production demand will come along and throw them off off course and they'll drop it. Maybe they'll do a project, trying to get visuality in place, but it doesn't really change anything and they can't see any money saved. Hmm? Maybe they do some changeovers. They do the changeovers and it's pretty, pretty good, lasts about a year and then Within a year and a half, the benefits evaporate, all that hard work down the drain. They tried a little color coding along with their quick changeover and it's hit or miss, hit or miss. So I want to say this plainly because it's very important to our discussion today. Visuality is a methodology that needs to be trained. It can't be done by the seat of your pants. It can't be done because you know it's important. We are by nature, by brain function, visual thinkers. I beg your pardon, I'm going to change that. We are by brain function, visual beings. 50%, 50% of our brain function is dedicated to finding and interpreting visual information in our environment. But we are, by training visual thinkers, we can only become visual thinkers when we are trained in the principles of visual thinking and given an opportunity to try those principles out and to let them teach us. It's the power of principles. Once you understand the principle, the principles teach. The trainer may have taught you the principles, but then you become self-sustaining yourself, Because if you use the principles, they teach you. So visuality, if it gets chosen as an initiative in a plant or site or even a corporation, it has to be taught. The benefits are enormous. We see it all the time. 15 to 30% increase in productivity. We see sustainability, sustainment as part of the growth, a stable organization that can grow and does grow. So, visuality is attractive. The technology itself, the methodology, and I'm talking about the way I do it. I actually know of of no competitive technology. I know a lot of companies that are doing point solutions, but I don't know of any that are actually doing it as a methodology because they lack the pieces. They lack a measurement system. They lack the lever of how do you dig in deeper. In my system, we do it through motion. It's very important. An understanding of visuality as a language. We see they teach point solutions. And that is moving the dial, but it doesn't keep the dial in place. In the approach that I've developed over these last 30 years, there's really a double methodology. One is about the knowledge, the content. What is the visual workplace? What is a visual device? What is motion? What are the building blocks of the thinking? And we teach a system of thinking. And then visuality becomes a, t- a system of doing, of application. But we teach the thinking first. So that's the first part, the face part of the methodology. The behind the scenes part, the second part of the methodology, has to do with how do you implement? And this is where the role of the supervisor is clarified and supported a set of principles and practices that management follows to make the rollout a success. You've heard me mention these terms, the three-legged stool, laminated map, improvement time policy, and a new role for supervisors. The change of culture that the company needs is not just for operators, but on growing the ability of supervisors and middle managers to support What the operators do, and later to make improvement contributions of their own. So it's against that backdrop that I'm going to walk you through these two scenarios and make some points that I think are very, very important. And we'll slide into our second break, and I'll be here when you get back.
1: Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program.
0: Welcome back. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. You're in the third segment of our show today at the Visual Workplace. And we are talking about the hero within and the supervisor. And I'm about to describe to you two recent troubleshooting scenarios. The lessons within them are perfectly about cultivating the hero within first within operators and then within the supervisor that sequence is tricky it's like the chicken or the egg which comes first it's tricky so scenario one Marianne Marianne went to one of our public seminars and she thinks she's under, she understands she is certainly very very excited about visuality Training modules in hand, because this company did purchase the system, she assigns the first training cycle to her favorite supervisor. He practically volunteered. He was very enthusiastic. He wanted to do it. He understood. His name is Jorge. And Jorge begins. He sits with his operators as they, as a team, go through the first training module, the second training module, action assignments. But in a little while, he goes to Marianne and he says, something is off. People are supposed to be excited, but they're not. They're just, I don't know, they're just nothing. Oh, wow. Because Marianne loves the material. Jorge loves the material. Operators, but not his operators, love the material. Marianne calls. We do what's called an at-a-distance session. It's part of the package. And I take the call. What's up, Marianne? She says... You know, Jorge is he's my favorite supervisor, but he's really struggling, and, and I can't figure out why. Well, I already know within those sentences. He's my favorite supervisor. He's doing the training. He's struggling. I happen to have met Jorge, and I know his, his quality. He's a fantastic person, and he is a very, very good supervisor. But I know that when he's training, he isn't teaching. When he's being the trainer, in his role as a trainer, he isn't training. He's supervising. He's supervising the training. I had my eye on him at the, at the seminar that we did together that he, he attended because he had a wonderful quality of heart and mind, but he had the habits of an old-fashioned supervisor. He told people to do what to do. He told them politely and then he followed up in case they didn't do it a little less politely. He was strong. And I said to Marianne, Ann, Mary your, your modality of training needs to change. And I would suggest because she's a very talented trainer but she wanted to do this kind of employee involvement thing, I would strongly suggest that you do the training And you let Jorge sit in. In fact, he must sit in. He must follow the training. He must sit there and you can have two groups. You know, you can have two areas because you're a very capable trainer. So you could do two work areas at once. Try to keep it to 12 or 15 people for the first cycle, even though you're talented. Later on, you can have 30. It's fine. But the supervisors sit in. They have to turn off their PDAs, turn off their laptops, and they have to Follow the training. And if there are exercises, and there are many, they participate, but they participate with the other supervisor or supervisors in the room. In fact, Marianne, you have to separate your supervisor from your operators because your supervisors have the habit of supervising and your operators have the habit of obeying their supervisor, attending to them taking them seriously, putting what they say first. It's just part of the norm. And what we want to do from the very beginning in visuality is let people be themselves. We want to take the thumb off of their head during the training. Attendance is mandatory, but participation is always voluntary. Even if your operators show up, doesn't mean they're on board. It simply means they have to show up. We want to get them on board, but we want to get them on board in such a way that they stay on board, not because their mortgage is on the line, their paycheck is on the line, but because they want it. They get visuality. They see that it can help them. And we've often heard when visuality starts in a company, especially if it has a long history of OPEX improvement, the operators often say, finally, you're doing something for me. This one's for me. Because they're going to, as a result of visuality, get control of their corner of the world. And it is their corner, even if only for one shift. It can't be handed over, the training cannot be handed over to a willing supervisor. Just because he's willing doesn't qualify him. First of all, unless you know that he has learned to train eye-driven, and that is the reverse of supervising, that is facilitating, facilitating and cultivating and waiting and being patient and not judging and following the methodology without the pressure of immediate outcome. Unless you know your supervisor can do that because he or she has done that, they don't train. You don't want to add to their pile of tasks anyway. All supervisors are overworked, don't have enough time, going in 17 different directions at once, at least in the early part of an improvement journey. Later on, they get control, and they become literally different people. But what you have to do during the training is, well, principles of thinking have to be taught. This is not, visuality is not, to begin with, a system of doing, of application. Just do it. Not at all. It is a system of thinking and then doing so that you can continue, if you will, to fish. You teach people to fish. They're not just counting the bread or baking the bread. I'm sorry, they're not just counting the bread or eating the bread. They're baking the bread and they're learning how to do it. The foundation of the training in visuality is that people are powerful on the inside and want to contribute. That is a given. And they will if you allow them to learn to contribute. And that means to think, to make mistakes, to hesitate, to wait, to move cautiously, to move fiercely, whatever their nature is. And this is the opposite of supervising, managing, worrying, prodding, reminding, urging, micromanaging, or anything like that. Patience and confidence in the content a confidence in the process. You can't ask a supervisor to do that, but a supervisor can learn by seeing you do that. And that supervisor can go undergo his own evolution revolution. The supervisor attends the training. He's in the room. He learns the methodology. He doesn't supervise. We put him, in fact, almost always at a separate table, not sitting with his team, because the habit, the norms are too strong. Supervisor's there. People are going to turn to the supervisor, and the supervisor's going to have an answer. So we separate them. No PDAs, no laptop. They pay attention. They engage in exercise with another supervisor. If there's an exercise, they talk amongst themselves. They don't visit the table of their direct reports. They don't make anything happen. That's a trainer's job. And that trainer may elect not to push it, not to make it happen, especially in the early days. In the early days, the trainers are mapping the group, taking the temperature of the group. Who's here? Watching. Who's, who's indifferent? Who's grumpy? Who's enthusiastic? who's enthusiastic but feeling weird because they are so far out in front of everyone else that they look like the exception. She takes, he takes, the trainer takes the temperature of the group and lets the content of the training module seep in. She is looking for the eye, not the eye that she prefers, but the eye that is in the room, this group of eyes called the operators. She wants that to come out. And that can't come out with the supervisor's thumb on head or heart. So the supervisor is inside the training room and eventually the baton will be passed in about four or five sessions because there is a blitz or an action assignment after every training session. we we'll hand that off to the supervisor. The su- supervisor assumes ownership of the blitz after it gets started so that it's set up strongly and well along the principles of people and the content. And the supervisor then becomes part of the improvement team, becomes part of the transformation, but doesn't take the lead. If she lets, if you let The supervisor supervise inside the training room or, as in the case of Jorge, take over. The I will disappear. The I will become the obedient employee he or she is who needs to pay her mortgage out there on the production floor. You will get an incomplete person. And for the culture to advance, your company needs complete people. The full eye, including that part of me that I left in the car in the parking lot, in the company parking lot, with the window slightly cracked so that it would still be there at the end of my shift when I got back into that car to drive home. Cultivating the hero within means, for, on the operator level, letting operators find that for themselves, their eye, their hero within, and they will if you give them the principles of thinking, the time for improvement, a sharp way to focus so that they have a target, the hit list, the laminated map. But it means cultivating the hero within supervisors as well. And that won't happen if you pile another task on top of the existing task pile that every supervisor has. Don't add to the pile. Your supervisor will be crushed but will keep going they're like energizer bunnies they have the battery they have the will but it doesn't help them grow and it doesn't help the company grow okay so that's that's the first example and I want to give a second example right after our last break which is coming up right now I'll reserve all, all of my talking for this last segment so I'll see you in a minute I'll be here when you get back <laughs>
1: Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program.
0: Welcome back. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. This is the last part of our show today at the Visual Workplace. And we are looking at visuality, the hero within 5S, if you will, and supervisors. I feel the same way in training supervisors about visuality as I do about 5S. 5S has become far too strong in terms of compliance and not strong enough in terms of culture change. In some companies, I won't say in all, in some companies this is true. So Marianne, our friend, the trainer, she was also a a coordinator of improvement in in her factory, she took the guidance, she took my suggestions, and visuality has begun to unfold and grab in her production, on her production floor in operations. Jorge is off the hook. He can simply be and learn and think and grow, grow as a thinker, grow as a supervisor, as can and do his operators. Don't throw this opportunity away cultivate the hero within, it doesn't happen by accident, it happens by design, it's, it happens because you understand and use the principles of the methodology that's behind the scenes as well as in front of the scenes, these principles and practices, so very important. The second example that I want to share with you is related to the first but importantly different and it's tricky in its own right, it did not begin as a coaching session because the company never got our online training system. What I mean by our online training system is a system of content that you move through systematically that holds the principles and practices of visuality so that people can become visual thinkers first and then visual doers, visual implementers, visual inventors, scientists of motion. At the the point of this conversation the company on a corporate level did not believe in training at all, let alone training visuality. They did compliance training, OGT training, but not improvement training and certainly not visual workplace training. They did have all the plant managers come for a training and all the plant managers say, This is it, said, This is it, this is wonderful. This is what we need. This was, by the way, a a food processing company. Lots and lots and lots of machines. Machines for the food, but also for packaging. And they said, bingo, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make a visual machine. What's hard about putting a bunch of visual devices in place and a corporate-wide mandate went out to get visual specs on the machine, on these many, many, many machines in each of the plants. The plant manager I spoke to, he called in and he said, there were a few specs that you should know about. There were no trainers at his plant. He relied instead on supervisors to get the work done, the work work, but also the improvement done. Training was nowhere in the equation. The supervisors were there to make it happen. And in this particular plant, one of about 12 nationwide, a third shift was about to be added. In about a month or so, there was a lot of pressure on the plant manager because he was also in a tricky position because most of the operators spoke Spanish as their first language and English, a little English, as their second. Hmm? How can the hero be a part of this, you may say? Well, in fact, this is not an unusual scenario for many, many plants and many of the people who are listening right now. So the first hero in the making was a plant manager himself. To steer him in a direction where there was growth and there was stability, stability first, then growth. He had to get the task done of visual specs on the machine through his supervisors, or he had to do it himself. And what are his choices for his supervisors? He can't seem to get them to do it. He told me. He said, I can't get them to do it. They think they want to do it, but they never get it done. And I'm spending my time chasing them down. If you've been in a machine-driven plant, asset-driven plant, you will know there aren't that many people because the machines are doing the conversion And there's a a very compressed hierarchy. Plant managers are often out on the floor making the machine do it through people. So I told him, I said, you know what? You've got to train your supervisors. They have to have had the experience of visuality that you had at the seminar if they're to even understand what you want. You can't order them to do this. Visuality is about thinking, and then it's about doing. It's about imagining against a system of principles and practices. You've got to get them to have the experience you had, and then they can transfer to your operators. So this was a different scenario, but it's one that's very real. There's no way in the world they're going to hire a trainer to do this just because I said so. So how do we make it work? Plus, how do we make it work in Spanish? So I suggested to him a series of very, very short, maybe 20 minutes, one-point lessons, and to do it over time, little by little. And of course, I had to suggest to him, get the training material You don't have to buy me or one of our affiliates to come in. That's expensive. Get the training material. It's the same training, but it's delivered prefabricated. And stop and start whenever you want to have a conversation. Make sure people get it. But in a way, Mr. Plant Manager, you're the trainer. You have to bring the knowledge base to your supervisors. Otherwise, they're clueless. They're well-meaning, but they don't know what you're talking about. Think of all you learned that day. And you will confine them to obedience, not thinking. And there's no growth in that. There's not growth for the company, not for you, not for them, not for your operators. It's a dead end. You need to change that. Training isn't, at least the training that we do, isn't giving people a specific recipe and then telling them to obey it. Training is sharing principles, showing examples, and mapping out a methodology that is a step-by-step through which you think through the problems of your workplace and solve them through solutions that are visual. It's called visual thinking. Visual thinking is your ability in mind to find the enemy, which is motion, to name the enemy, identify the enemy which is motion, and the information deficits, the missing information that triggers that motion, motion moving without working, and then to eliminate both through solutions that are visual. He has to say, let's do it together. He has to say to them, I want to help you help me so we can help the plant grow. That relationship with the supervisors. But with supervisors, you can't treat them As though they are complete right now. They need new knowledge. Otherwise you're using a very, very uh, small scope of their skills. There's an eye inside of supervisors as well. A hero that wants to get out. Well worth your investment. Well worth the cultivation. Cultivate the hero within your supervisors. And they will help you transform your plant. Don't neglect them. New supervisory behaviors have to kick in early, and they aren't really that easy, and some of your supervisors will object, but once they get going, it will feel so good. They will learn that the power behind not supervising is equal to the power of learning and changing, the power behind not supervising. So this is our show for today. I hope it was helpful. And I hope that you will test out some of these principles. Your supervisors don't give up their production responsibilities, but we're talking about improvement responsibilities. We'll finish this up next week. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I'm signing off. Let the workplace speak.
1: We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense. Please tune in for another episode next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.